If you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn to Psalms 103, and then stand with me if you are able for the reading of God's holy word. From Psalms 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your soul is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that your name would be blessed in this place. Lord, would your name be blessed through this preaching? Would your name be blessed through our singing? Would your name be blessed through our listening? Lord, would everything that we do in this building, not just this morning, but as long as this building is here, and as long as these people are outside of it, would everything that we do bless your name? For you are worthy, O God. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Psalms. So we're going to spend the month of July in the Psalms. And we're going to look at a couple different Psalms of blessing. So we're going to look at five different Psalms that are going to talk about different people who are blessed by God. But before, I want to begin this morning by having us look upward. So before we talk about the ways that God blesses us, I want us to talk about and examine why we should bless God. Because every single week, Christians from all around the globe, in every tribe, and in every tongue, and in every place, gather in order to bless and to praise God. And we do this, we do it by singing His praises, celebrating communion, and preaching, and so much more. But the problem is that we can, this can become so routine that we can start to forget why we gather in the first place. We can get distracted. We can start to think that Sunday is all about us 
And so we start to come not to bless God, but to be blessed ourselves. So this morning, I want us to go back to the fundamentals. I don't want you to forget why we're here in the first place. And I'm going to remind you and give you four reasons why God is worthy of your blessing and why God is worthy of your praise. I'm going to remind you why we should be singing loudly and worshiping freely and gladly. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, um, I'm glad you're here. I mean, maybe you're wondering, you know, why this people gather every single week to just sing songs to God. Well, I can't wait to tell you why. I'm going to give you four reasons why we do that. So the first reason that you should bless God is that you should bless God for His gracious benefits. That you should bless God for His gracious benefits. And we should bless Him because of all of the things and all of the blessings that He so graciously and freely bestows upon us. And so I'm going to talk about these blessings and benefits in a moment, but let's start with verse 1. David begins and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. This is really the heart of the psalm in the first verse. David is telling himself that he should be blessing and praising God. And it's a reminder that everything within him should praise God. And if that's true of King David, it should be true of us as well. And in verse 2, he repeats and reminds himself, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David himself wants to remember all of the benefits of God. But why does he need reminding? Well, because he forgets. And we forget as well. We so easily forget all of the things that God has done for us. And we often forget when we're in pain and suffering. Right? We can, it's hard to remember the blessings of God when you're sick and you're huddled over a toilet just trying to stay conscious. It's hard to remember when you're at the grave of a loved one that was taken too soon. It can be hard to remember God's blessing. But so David goes on and he lists a number of these benefits in order to remind us. In verse 3, he reminds us that the Lord is the one who forgives all your iniquity. The greatest benefit of God is that he forgives all of our sins. Every last one. Our sin, it drove a wedge between us and God. It got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Our sin makes us unable to be in the presence of God without being killed. And the just punishment for all of our sin and iniquity is eternal death and eternal punishment. But God forgives all your iniquity. All of it. He doesn't just forgive a little bit. He doesn't just forgive the sins you committed before you got saved and were baptized. He doesn't just forgive the easy sins that aren't too bad. He could handle those. He doesn't just forgive your past sins, but now you've got to do better and don't do that again. He forgives all your iniquity, every last one. When Jesus died on the cross, he shouted out, it is finished. And he declared in that moment that all of your sins were forgiven. Everything that brings you shame, everything, the sins that you wish that other people would forget that you had done. The sins that you wish yourself you could forget that you had done. Jesus forgives all your iniquity. That is a reason to praise him. Verse 2, he continues and reminds us, God is the one who heals all your diseases. We're reminded that we serve a God who can heal disease. One of the things that Jesus did when he came was he healed the sick. He healed the leper and the lame 
the blind and the cripple. And our God can still heal today. Sometimes he does it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've watched him heal the broken bone in a friend's foot in a smelly basement for the prayers of some bold teenagers. Last year when the doctors told us our youngest had leukemia and then we got to Oklahoma City and it was gone. Okay, I don't think that was just a mistake. I think that God healed him. But God doesn't always heal. Some will lie to you and say, well, if you just have enough faith, you can be healed right now. Don't forget to give me some money too. Then you'll get the healing of God. They're wrong. And there's plenty of times that we pray, and we've all prayed for the healing that we want from God, and it hasn't come. I'm not going to pretend to know the reasons why God healed my son and others died. I simply don't know. But I do know that our God heals all disease. He has the power to do it if he so wishes. And I know that one day when he returns, he will heal every disease. When Jesus returns, sickness will be no more. Cancer will be defeated. COVID will be an ancient memory along with every other disease you've ever heard of and those you haven't. Death itself will be no more. We need to remember, too, part of the way that Hebrew poetry works, since we're going to be in the Psalms for this month. The Psalms, they're, they're poetry. Okay? They're not a theological textbook. So it teaches truth through beauty, not just through a nice rhetorical argument. And one of the main ways that Hebrew poetry um, works is through this parallelism, right? So there are two lines right after one another, and they usually play off of each other in some way. Sometimes they'll have parallel or similar ideas. Sometimes the next one will expand on the idea or it'll contrast the idea. So you can't just read a line by itself. You've got to have the parallel. So the two lines are God who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. These two are tied together, the spiritual and the physical disease. God has power over both. And one day when Jesus returns, they will both be gone forever. Verse 4 has more benefits from God. God is the one who redeems your life from the pit. Pit is usually a metaphor for death and the grave. But one of the greatest benefits of God is that he delivers us from eternal death. This is about our salvation and our hope in the resurrection because at the empty tomb, Jesus defeated the power of death. He brought redemption and deliverance out of the pit. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of Jesus is eternal life. And after bringing us out of the pit, what does he do? He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. It is a picture of what God does in salvation. He delivers us out of death and he gives us eternal life. Instead of death, we now have love and mercy from God. Verse 5, another benefit, true satisfaction. He who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That God satisfies our heart with what is good and with what we need. Right? I, I love to eat um, junk food. Love to eat out at restaurants. I would do that every chance I got if I could. There's a problem. Okay, after a couple days of living like that, my body starts to reject it and get angry at me. It tastes good, but it is not what my body was made for. It isn't good. It isn't what I need. God is what your body and your soul were made to consume. 
He is the only thing that can truly, fully, and deeply satisfy you and renew you. This passage is what Isaiah remembered and quoted. The famous passage from Isaiah 40, 31. To those who wait on the Lord, renew their strength and soar on wings like eagles. He was quoting this passage when he said that. God can satisfy you with what is good and he renews us because he's what we were made to enjoy forever. The question that we should ask ourselves, I think, is, you know, do we praise God for all that he's done for us? Not just recently, not just this week, but over your whole life. If you've walked with Jesus for a long time, are you praising him for all of the gracious benefits that he's bestowed on you? Because if you've experienced the blessing of God, you should praise him. And you should bless his name because of it. You shouldn't come to Sunday unsure if you're going to sing and praise God or not. Shouldn't wait, well, I'm going to see what the songs are picked and if I like them or not. And if they're good, then I'll sing. But if not, maybe I'll just wait. We should come ready because you realize that he has given you the forgiveness of sins, salvation, love, and mercy, and fulfilled your deepest and most serious longings. We should praise God and bless God for his gracious benefits. That's the first reason. The second reason we should bless God is we should bless him for his gracious justice. That we should bless God for his gracious justice. Too often we pit these things against one another. Right? We either see God as only gracious but not just or we see him as only just but not gracious. But God is both. His justice is filled with his grace and his grace is filled with justice and both of them are never ending. So let's walk through these verses in 6 through 12. Let's see what they teach us about God and his gracious justice. Verse 6 tells us the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So our God, he is perfectly righteous and he is just. And that means everything he does is righteous and it is just as well. And he doesn't do justice just on behalf of the strong, on behalf of those who have power or money or, flu or influential. Instead, he is the God of the weak, of the poor, and the sinner. And he brings justice for those who are oppressed and mistreated. And verse 7 reminds us of an instance of God's justice. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Through the Exodus, if you remember that story, God brought justice to the oppressed Israelites. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but God set them free from the oppression of their cruel Egyptian masters. And he brought terrible plagues on Egypt. The plagues of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, locusts, boils, darkness, and a lot of death. And he did so as an act of justice. Nero or Pharaoh drowned infants in the Nile, and so he and his army were drowned in the Red Sea. We might be tempted to see these acts as extreme. Some would tell you or try to convince you that God, especially in the Old Testament, is cruel. And they would use these plagues as an example, but this is because we don't understand God's justice or his grace. Pharaoh and the Egyptians probably didn't like it. They would have said, no, that God is a cruel God. But the Israelite slaves knew their God was just. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow 
to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We serve a God of mercy and grace. And our God's anger is very slow. He never loses his temper. He doesn't raise his voice. He gave the Egyptians hundreds of years to repent before the plagues. And then he gave them another chance to repent after every single plague came. Even then, his justice was slow. Sometimes his justice is so slow, it causes us to wonder if he's just at all or if it will ever come. I'm sure there were times where some of those Israelite slaves wondered if God would ever bring justice. He will and he does, but slowly. And he waits, not because he lacks power, but because he abounds in gracious love. Verse 9 tells us, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Our God does not just punish. Okay, his only role in the universe is not just to give out justice and punishment. And while he has been angry at the unrighteousness and the injustice in the world, he will not be angry forever. It is not his only state. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What we don't realize is that God never gives us what we deserve. Ever. The only thing that any of us in this room or any of us outside of this room deserve is death and hell. I told this before, this is growing up, whenever I would tell my father that's not fair, he would always respond, son, the only thing that's fair is you in hell right now which was extreme and sometimes not very nice, but I never forgot it. And it was theologically correct. But it only seems extreme to us, right? Because we have crooked scales of justice. We want them to, to dip on our side, always. As long as it's on my side, it's fair. That's not just. God's justice is gracious. He does not give us what we deserve. He does not repay us what we should be owed. Instead, he repays us with a love that we do not deserve. In verse 11, he says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. His love, it is higher than the heavens. It is steadfast and it is unchanging. It does not fade over the years. It does not change or lessen as you become a different kind of person. His love is steadfast. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is one of the most beautiful and poetic statements, I think, in all of Scripture. Through the forgiveness that is available through Jesus, your sin can be long gone. It is as far from you as it possibly could be. You are no longer guilty but forgiven. And those who put their faith in the risen Lord Jesus are no longer sinners but saints. As far as the east is from the west, so are your sins from you. Your sins were killed at Calvary and buried in the tomb while you got to be raised up with Jesus into the heavens. And we should bless and praise God for his gracious justice. He is just to punish evil, but he is often so gracious and how he chooses to forgive it, none more so than ours. Or sometimes simply how long he delays his justice out of grace. There is no better demonstration of God's gracious justice than the cross. 
Because at the cross, God's grace and his justice, they collided in the body of Jesus. Justice said that the penalty of sin is death, and the grace was Jesus dying on our behalf. Justice said that sin had to be atoned for, but grace was Christ atoning for our sins himself by his blood. Justice was says that only the righteous can obtain eternal life, but grace was that Jesus' righteousness has obtained it for us on our behalf. That is worthy of praise. We should be singing and praising and blessing God's name daily for his gracious justice. So we should bless God for his gracious justice is the second reason. The third reason we should bless God, we should bless God for his gracious love. We should bless God for his gracious love. The love of God is greater than you can imagine. The love of God, it is sweeter than you can taste. It is more beautiful than your eyes can see. Verse 13 tells us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Our God is a compassionate father. Some of you didn't get to have good fathers. Some of you had no fathers. Some of you may have had downright evil fathers, or some of you had fathers who left or who were taken far too soon. But God is a good father. He is a good father who is always there. And he shows you compassion. He shows you the kind of compassion that a father should show their children. His compassion is even greater and even better. All who have put their faith in Jesus have been adopted as his children. And those children are shown the gracious justice of God. And when he looks at us, he looks at us with compassion and he looks at us with love. When he sees you, he sees you as his child and he loves you. But why does God show us compassion? Verse 14, for he knows our frame. May he remembers that we are dust. God remembers how he made Adam. He made him out of dirt and dust from the ground. He knows and he understands our limitations. We can only be in one place. We can only be in one time, unlike God. Our minds are limited, and as we age, they begin to fade. Our bodies are weak. They often betray us, or they slowly break down. Our own hearts get so infected by sin, we often don't do what we know that we should, or even what we want to do in the first place. But yet, God loves us anyway. Some of you might not like your frames. Right? You may wonder if God truly loves you. You might think, well, maybe he just puts up with me, but he doesn't really like me that much. Or maybe he loves other people, but I'm not really sure that he loves me too. Beloved, you are loved by God. And he shows you compassion. He knows all of your weaknesses. He knows all of your shortcomings. He knows the worst parts of you. He knows the terrible truth about you. And yet when he looks at you, he looks at you with love. He loves to hear you laugh and delights in your smile and his love for you is gracious and never ending. Verse 15, 16, it talks about how much of humanity we just fade with time. As for man, right, his days are like grass, flourishes like a flower in the field, but then the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. We, we die and we fade away. 
in the grand scheme of eternity, even just human history, our lives are incredibly short. Most of humanity has come and gone and faded without very much of a trace. We simply die and pass away in the annals of history where people will debate if we even lived at all, way off in the future. And our loves don't last much longer than our days, right? You can probably all remember the first time you're hurt, filled up with love. Maybe you were so overwhelmed, you felt like you could burst. You thought it was the love of your life, even though you were only six. Maybe when you felt heartbroken, the first time when you were older, you wondered if you could ever come to love again. Not even withstanding childhood loves, right? Even as we get older, sometimes our loves fade. They don't always last. You can watch even in marriage of someone you once loved or who claimed to love you no longer did. Or just the love you had for a friend as it slowly through the years faded with time. God's love is not like man's love. His love never ends. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to his children or to children's children. His love is steadfast. It is like an anchor that holds us fast in the storms of life. It does not fade. It doesn't wane with age. It doesn't burn out really bright in the beginning, but then it gets bored and it moves on. He never falls out of love. The steadfast love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. His love for you existed from before time began and it will begin into all of eternity. It doesn't end and it will not go away. You can't lose his love. Your disobedience won't make him turn his back on you. You can't make him ashamed of you. His love for you is never ending and it is gracious. And this love, it's available to everybody, but it's only experienced by those who receive it. David's repeated this phrase repeatedly, right? On those who fear him. Well, who is this? This is those who have put their faith in God. Those who have acknowledged the might and the awesomeness of God. Those who live as if God actually is their God. Who have put their faith in Jesus and believed that he really is the only way to salvation. But what we see is that God in his righteousness and his love, it will never run out. This is why David says his righteousness to children's children. This is, his love is steadfast in every single generation. It wasn't just for David and Moses and Abraham. It's for you. And the love and the grace of God that's here now, it will still be here when the next generation comes around. When all of us in this room are long dead and forgotten, God still, His love will still be here for those who choose to continue to worship here. It will be just as steadfast then as it is now and as it was in the days of Moses. Verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And we demonstrate that we have received the love of God by doing what he asks. Right? We demonstrate that we love God by acting like we love God. And we act like those who love God by being obedient to him, by doing the things that please him, doing the things that he asks us to do. The reality is there's plenty of people who call themselves Christians. Plenty of people who loudly tell others that they love God but really don't. There are those who might have prayed the sinner's prayer, but they might never really gave their lives to Jesus. They might have went under some water, but they weren't ever really baptized. They're like a husband who loudly tells everybody how much he loves his wife, but he never listens to her when she talks. He never does what she asks. Doesn't ever make time to hang out with her, but he loves to tell other people about how much he loves his wife. That's not really love. 
Similarly, if you love God, you obey Him just because you want to. You don't do it trying to earn anything. You don't obey because you're trying to earn salvation. We obey because Jesus has made us a new creation and we cannot help but act out our love. We can't help but act like we are in love with Jesus. And a great way to act out this love for God is to praise Him. To bless Him. To sing and to loudly yell and shout about His love. To proclaim and to bless God for the love that He has given us. That's the third reason we should bless Him. is just because of His never-ending gracious love that He shows us. And the final reason that we should bless God is we should bless God for His gracious rule. We should bless God for His gracious rule because God rules as the king of the cosmos. Our God is the king of kings. He is above all. And He deserves praise and blessing because He's in charge. He's the only one in charge. Verse 19 tells us, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Okay, God's throne is not in a capital building. It's not in Washington, D.C. It's not in the temple in Jerusalem. It is up in heaven far above all of His creation. And do you notice how far His rule goes? Where are the borders of His kingdom? Okay, every stream and field belongs to God. Every sea is His. Every mountain and mountaintop is the Lord's. Every nation is under His jurisdiction. Every continent bears His banner. Every planet in the cosmos, every comet and asteroid, black hole and star, they are His. Every galaxy that is here and those far, far away, they're His too. However far this universe expands, God rules over every single inch and every single atom. And however many universes there may or may not be, God's king over all of them. Every last one. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom is over all. There is nowhere in all of existence that God does not rule. He is the king. This is part of why I love referring to God as king of the cosmos, because it just reminds me how wide his rule is. It's bigger than any earthly kings. All creation is God, not just on this planet, but everywhere that there's something. It's God's. And he's the king. And we should bless and praise God because he is worthy. Not just us as humanity, but all creation should bless God. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. The angels are included in this command. You see, it's the angels themselves. They should praise. They should bless God. And angels are pretty incredible beings. Right? I mean, angels, they've captured humanity's imagination from the very beginning of time. Right? They're so incredible when they show up, people want to fall down and worship them. Because they seem like things that are worthy of worship. But they're not meant to be worshipped. They are meant to worship our King. Who rules. These mighty ones, the mighty ones who obey God at every instance, they're commanded to praise God, their true king and ruler. 21 continues, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So his hosts, it's, a very, it's pretty inclusive. Includes God's heavenly armies and I think all of his heavenly creatures. That massive army God will bring out at the end of the world whenever that he decides that will be. The legions of angels that Jesus commanded, they should bless God. And that host, it includes all of the heavenly creatures. Okay, the seraphim, 
that Isaiah, the prophet, saw in Isaiah chapter 6, beings that had six wings, two to cover their face and two to cover their feet and two to fly, whose voices shook the room like an earthquake. They should continue to bless God by singing their song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole world is filled with His glory. The heavenly creatures like the cherubim that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. Human-like creatures that had four wings and four faces. Faces, one face like a human's, one like a lion, one like an ox, and one like an eagle. And they moved fast as lightning. They should praise God. Or the heavenly creatures John saw in Revelation chapter 4. That one looked like a human, one looked like an ox, and one looked like a lion, and one looked like an eagle. But they all had six wings and eyes all over every single part of their body. That would freak you out if you saw that. Right? All these creatures, they would terrify us if we saw them. If one popped up here in the middle of it. It would either freak us out or we'd want to worship them because this must be God. Look at it. There's probably, there could even be other heavenly creatures that we've not seen. Other creatures God's created, He just hasn't revealed yet. Maybe, I don't know. But anywhere there's something that God has made, all of the heavenly hosts should bless God because He is the King. Verse 22, Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion, not just the heavenly creatures, but all of creation. And all of us are a part of His work. He made the heavens and the earth. He made mankind from the dust that He breathed in. He made woman from a rib that He fashioned. Every rock and stone and tree should praise and bless God's name. All of us are his works. And in all places in his dominion, we've already established that this is everywhere. Everything, everywhere, all at once, all the time should bless God. And verse 22 tells us, bless the Lord, O my soul. He ends up right back where he began. This is kind of beautiful way that the psalm works its way through, almost in a circle. He reminds us we should be worshiping and blessing the Lord. I don't know how you can read this psalm and not want to bless God. He is so worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be celebrated. He is worthy to give your life to. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you giving God the praise He deserves? Are you blessing His name? Christians, we should be doing this all the time with everything that we do, especially with our mouths on Sunday morning as we gather. If you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, the most important thing that you could do isn't that you could sing along with us. The most important thing is that you could give your life to Jesus because he's worthy. And if that's you, if you feel God pulling on your heart, I would love to talk to you about that or any of our elders more, or Rob or other pastor would be more than happy to speak to you about Jesus. Just come and ask. Because our God is worthy of worship. And He loves you. He wants to bring you salvation. So this morning we've talked about four reasons to bless God. We should bless Him because He's the King of the cosmos, who has a never-ending love, who rules with gracious justice, and He bestows all the benefits of the kingdom on those who fear Him. So church family, let's bless His name. Man, let's sing, let's worship, let's do everything we can as if our God is worthy to be blessed. I'm going to close this in prayer and invite our worship team to come up and give us one more chance to bless the name of the Lord. God, I ask, Lord, before I ask anything, Lord, I bless your name. 
how fast we are, even after preaching, how worthy you are that I come to you with petitions instead of with blessing. Lord, you are worthy of all of our worship. You are worthy of all of our praises. You are worthy of all of our lives. You are worthy of everything, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would help us to praise you because we can't do it by ourselves. Alone, we so quickly turn inward. We focus on what you've given us instead of how often the giver of the gifts is. Lord, would you help us be a people? Would you help us be a church? Would you help us be a community that blesses your name because you are worthy? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we praise our Savior one more time? Today's benediction is from 1 Corinthians 15. It goes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Um, go in peace.